Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me today are Jeff Ranke and Andy Zoll. We each have more than 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Every week, we take the five most popular stories on our websites and discuss the implications they have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by giving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use, even a thumbs up on YouTube. Finally, if you want to reach the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, Andy, or David at IEN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Jeff, it's good to see you back. Good to be back. Yeah, missed it last week. Right. And Andy, back here again. Uh, Also good to be back. Right. (laughs) And like we said to Jeff last week, Anna, get well soon, even though you weren't ill. (laughs) I was not ill. I was providing support for another family member. So very good. All good. Well, Andy, either way, it's good to see you again. Always Um, a pleasure. Yeah, let's get rolling. Oh, wait, no. Before we get rolling, we have a word from our sponsor. So we'll see you in 45 seconds. Oil Eater's household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. All right, and we're back. Our first story this week, Fitbit recalls recalls 1 million Ionic watches after burn injuries. Fitbit, which Google bought last year, has recalled 1 million smartwatches. The company received 115 reports of the battery overheating in the U.S. and more internationally. There were 78 reports of burn injuries, including two with third-degree burns and four with second-degree burns. Based in San Francisco, Fitbit introduced the watches in 2017, but stopped using it immediately. Nope, but stopped producing them in 2020. The recall is specific to model number FB503, and if you have one, stop using it immediately. (laughs) Customers, they launched in 2017 and stopped it immediately, (laughs) but there's a few out there. Now, customers will not only be refunded the $300 they paid for it, but, Jeff, they're going to get 40% off another Fitbit. So, is that just how much the cost has gone up since they bought one in 2017? Well, now it's Fitbit-related like items. They don't have to buy another Fitbit to try to burn all the way through their wrist this time. And by the way, how long do you need to leave? I'm not trying to blame the victim in any way here, but how long does something have to be on your wrist to generate a second or third degree burn before you take it off. I mean, maybe it, wow. maybe you're sleeping with it on. That was my first thought. Yeah, yeah. I guess. Maybe there's much or higher pain tolerance than I ever could have. They're just in such a workout that they cannot be stopped. <laughs> just getting just, their swell on. They just cannot stop. Yeah. Thanks. It's just like, it's a little tickle. Man, tough guys. Yeah. Well, you know who the white hat in all of this is? Hmm. It's Google. Oh, yeah. Google saved people's lives. Because in their overzealous nature mm-hmm. to collect data and people's extreme fear of what they will do with that data, once Google bought Fitbit in 2020, a lot of people trashed them. Oh, yeah. So this actually could have been a lot worse in terms of the number of incidents and the amount of people who were burned and injured by these watches if 
it wasn't owned by Google. So thanks, Google, for if but, it wasn't for your overzealous pursuit of data that people were fearful of being used to launch ads and being yeah. uh, swiped or stolen or given out to uh, to healthcare agencies in the area, could have been worse. So it was Google that caught this or Fitbit caught this? It wasn't the consumer complaints? No, it was. I was being sarcastic. Oh, David, gotcha. I, I was, was just like, <laughs> sorry, I should have more firmly planted no, my. I was like, I did not read that anywhere. That is amazing. <laughs> no. Um, no, there was just some articles. It was interesting because when they were going through the process, a lot of people were like, I'm getting rid of this Fitbit because oh, I yeah. know with Google involved, I'm going to get a bunch of ads. They were worried about their healthcare data being just out there, being hacked, oh, stolen, yeah. sold, whatever. So a lot of people gave it up. But obviously, <laughs> and what's interesting too is now this is actually up not to sharpshoot you. This is up to like 1.7 million yeah. of these items worldwide that are actually being recalled now. Oh, man. Yeah, no, it was uh, – I kind of focused the uh, the report on the U.S. portion yeah, of the recall. Yeah. Uh, but there is a significant amount of people internationally as well. Um, Andy – your thoughts on the hot watch? Um, I mean, I have a, a smartwatch take that I'll get to. You guys aren't wearing smartwatches, are you? No, Super, I won't we're ever good here. Um, a fair amount of the the new research we come across is about batteries, precisely because of the reasons of the uh, the issues rather with lithium ion batteries. They uh, the the new batteries that they want to design could have more energy density, but also. Um, this is not new. These batteries overheating in mm-hmm. cell phones, computers, electric cars. We've covered this ad nauseum over the years. Yeah, um, anyone that's flown a plane knows that. Right. Um, so, you know, you hope that if you can get these new battery technologies stable enough that they could alleviate these sorts of things and people wouldn't be, have literally their lives put in danger. Like a third degree burn, that's putting your life in danger. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Especially so, like you're sleeping, you know, it's under the pillow. You're already sleeping on your hands. Yeah. Problem right there. Exactly. Man. So that's that's the serious part. And I don't want to be flipping here because people people were oh, injured. Yeah. But also, uh, smartwatches are like if you want to track your steps mm-hmm. or you want to stay on the grid while you're paddleboarding or whatever, mm-hmm. that's fine. But otherwise, I mean, my Timex works just fine. You know. Yeah, I don't. I'm I'm fine taking my phone out of my pocket to check my email and whether or not I have any other messages. Actually, uh, your smartwatch take made me think. You know, I, I had bowling last night, yep. and uh, there was a guy I was bowling next to. And he kept like he brought the ball right up to his face and he kept like pecking his uh, wrist with his nose. And I was just like, what a weird like tick, you know, like before he bowls, he has to like peck his wrist with his nose. He was reading messages on his smartwatch. Like bowling. Like so he had gotten he found out that he received a message and he was pecking it with his nose and then he'd read it and then he would bowl. And I was just like, that's horrible, sir. I am. A person's that person's very popular for one, and yeah. also his brain might be broken by electronics. I can tell Easy. you by being that close to him, I don't take him for that popular of a guy. Okay, no, he cannot be that big of a deal. Yeah, no, it's uh, I get it. Like uh, I, I'm interested in like you know how it can track steps and like some of the powerful features where they can tell you if you're not sleeping well at night. You know, I have a family with a history of sleep apnea. Uh, people have died from it, so. When it can do stuff like that, that's where I see it being encouraging. But Jeff, to your point, like uh, you're right. When Google bought this for two point two point one billion, it was just like, all right, they've already made more money than anyone else or any other company yeah. based on selling ads that are based on your personal information, and they just, you know, bought a tool that goes even deeper into our lives. And that was a little seems a little invasive. But I mean, people should have believed them when they said no. 
We're yeah. not going to no. do oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. They said they'd be cool, and I don't know why you wouldn't just take them <laughs> yeah. at their word. Yeah, and it's not. To be, I mean, to be fair, it's not Google. It's Alphabet, but I mean, it's Google. Right. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how somebody can wear a watch like that when they're working out. Yeah. I can't even wear my wedding ring when I play basketball. Yeah. I don't know. Just me, I guess. Yeah. But No, that's, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know either. Like, uh, but it's, I know that we're on the other side of it. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, Part of my curmudgeon-y characteristics i'll get to the curmudgeon point in our final thought <laughs> i was i used the wrong word last week when i called jeff when i said jeff's curmudgeon take i meant that like you give us more balance you oh. know and sometimes you know because i'm like so sometimes i'm instead of trying to be like the devil's advocate i'm trying to be like the jeff's advocate when you're not here we're just like <laughs> all right andy and ann and i agree on everything and that's not really interesting what would jeff say he'd certainly be against this but uh you know so that's what i, I meant it. No. I meant Jeff's advocate, not Jeff Curmudgeon. All right, I appreciate the clarification. Dude. <laughs> no, as soon as I uh, as soon as I said it, I'm like, he's gonna hear that <laughs> mm-hmm. first thing. All right, it was at least nine thirty Monday morning or Tuesday morning before I said anything. Oh, I know. It's just like, hey, Jeff, how was your weekend? I'm a curmudgeon. I wouldn't know. Like, <laughs> 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 all right, our fourth most popular story this week: plant slated for closure will remain open. In October 2020, California-based Avery Dennison announced plans to close the company's plant in Fort Wayne, Indiana. The company makes labels and adhesive products. They told local officials in Indiana that the 170 workers would be losing their jobs and the plant's work was moving to Ohio. When all was said and done, the the plant was to be closed by October 2021. But now, the company has reversed course and will not be closing the plant. Instead, they are investing in it. The plant will receive a, quote, significant long-term investment to upgrade the site's infrastructure and capabilities. The factory will transition to making shipping labels for food and logi- for the food and logistics industries. The company is also expanding in its Miamisburg, Ohio plant. So now it's business as usual in Fort Wayne. And Zal, that's a good piece of news. Uh, it is. Um, I was curious when I when I read through this, though, that kind of the timing mm-hmm. of how they went through this decision, because, you know, we go through a lot. Businesses decide to move operations around. Sometimes plants get closed and obviously people's lives are upended. Um, and although we're not privy to what this company went through um, at the time, they made this closure announcement. It was October 2020. Right. So six months into the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I pretty sure it was clear to everybody that the food and logistics sectors were going to be just fine through all of that. So um, I don't know how long it took them to to make that call to kind of change things up at this place, but um, it's it's certainly good for the workers, but it's uh, maybe a little concerning about their decision-making process. Well, it was a weird excuse or reasoning for making the closure. They said that the plant was too landlocked and they didn't have any room for the needed expansion. So Jeff, how did they all of a sudden find the room? <laughs> well, I think there's a couple, possibly a couple different dynamics here at play. First of all, there's so much disruption in supply chain right now. Yeah. And for those of you who don't maybe realize, Avery Dennison is enormous. Mm-hmm. It is a huge company. It's, I think anybody within manufacturing from a B2B perspective understands how much they're in and the, the size of this company. So obviously they're working with a lot of suppliers, mm-hmm. a lot of customers. Now, to make things easier for that customer or that supplier during a time of supply chain turmoil, it might be just easier to keep things where they are. Instead of getting a new delivery destination, a new pickup destination, working potentially with different service reps or or whomever, 
and Avery Dennison, to their credit, may have realized, you know what, this may not be an ideal location, but for the sake of all involved, let's just keep it here. Mm-hmm. Plus, we are talking about 170 jobs yeah. during a time when it is difficult to find and hire people. So again, when you look at the cost of replacing that workforce, they may have said, we've got them. We've got everything working here. Again, maybe not ideal, but it's going to be a lot easier and a lot more efficient to keep things where they are right now. That's a good point. Maybe they looked at the plant it was going to move to in Ohio and the other plants in Indiana, and they just figured the manpower wasn't there. Well, it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting, too, because they talked about, and I know everybody talks about this when they're shutting down a facility about moving employees to a different location. Even the one within Indiana was like an hour and a half away. Yeah. this isn't. These aren't typically the types of jobs that you would... Oh, be you, willing to make that kind of commute or, or right. that type of thing. So that a was kind of interesting too. Yeah. What you kind of hope for here too, in addition to those other factors I just talked about, is we've been covering the reinvestment strategies of, of U.S. manufacturers in terms of it's instead of going offshore, mm. um, investing in automation, investing in remote monitoring technologies, doing things to allow workers in facilities to do more through technology. And that was part of this story too, is they are going to make some, uh, some investments within the facility. They figured out a way to get yeah, around the yeah. landlock issue. Yeah. So you'd hope those, in, those, tradi- those trends continue. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just another example of that. I wonder if the landlock thing was kind of posturing, trying to make a deal with the city. Um, Not the same thing. And uh, the other thing is, I, I, I really like to hear this sort of news, but I don't like when they're vague about how much it's going to be. <laughs> you know, like it's going to be a significant investment. We assure you. You know, it's just like throw some numbers out there. If you're, I mean, if you're uh, committed in the long term. Uh, yeah. But since, since when? Since when have companies been afraid to overestimate yeah. their potential positive <clears throat> economic impact? You know. Well, the other part of the story that I thought was interesting was so the first round of layoffs were in March 2021, um, but I didn't see anything con- as to confirm whether or not because they didn't announce that they were keeping the plant until like October, 2021. So I wonder if they did have, you know, some people lose their jobs that might have the opportunity to come back or maybe that sort of call was part of, you know, making it a little bit more efficient there. Yeah. The first thing I thought it was like you said, maybe it was a play to try to get the local municipalities to kick in a little bit. Yeah. uh, Ante up a little bit to help them out, which again, they probably looked at the size of this company and said, are are you kidding me? I mean, (laughs) really? Yeah. Um, but the, you know, and, and Andy, you mentioned the markets that they're looking to get into. They were always doing well, but this is an area that's known for a lot of dairy production, a lot of, um, um, just the, because it's in the middle of the country logistically, I mean, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Plus, I mean, all the e-commerce developments, a lot more label being used. Oh, so. No, I mean, I think to your point earlier, I mean, food and logistics, like those exploded. <laughs> you can't, yeah, you couldn't think of any more fast-growing industries than those two. Yeah, like safer bets. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Our third most popular story this week, Jeeps pulled for defective electronics. Stellantis had to issue a temporary stop sale of its 2022 Jeep Grand Cherokee and Grand Cherokee L SUVs. Owners complained that key fobs were losing connection to the vehicles and causing them to brick, which, for those that don't know what that means, means just not work. When FCA sent the notice to dealers, they cited, quote, a radio frequency hub module that could cause communication issues between the key fob and the vehicle. A solution was identified, and the company was expediting parts to the, to, uh, for the fix to the dealer network. While it didn't affect many, it sounds like a real pain. When the malfunction happened for one owner, she attempted to open the SUV with the physical key on the fob, and the Jeep assumed that someone was trying to steal it. 
which set off an alarm and then locked down the car. Now, Jeff, I'm already stressed after I'm grocery shopping. <laughs> and if all of a sudden my car not only isn't letting me in, but that alarm is going off, I'm just walking away. Well, weren't you guys kind of surprised that this wasn't a recall? I understand mm-hmm. it wasn't a huge number of vehicles and they could kind of dial in on which ones it affected. Yeah. But I thought this would be a recall. Yeah. Um, I was kind of surprised. What do you, I don't know, Andy, what do you think? I mean, I apparently it must really not be that many vehicles because if yeah. that happened to me, I just can't imagine the things going through my brain. Well, it was funny. So I actually looked it up. So NHTSA on safercar.gov, they actually... Tell you what a recall is. Okay. And paraphrasing here, I won't, I'll spare you the bureaucratic speech, but basically (laughs) what it says is unless there is a mechanical or design flaw that Mm -hmm. actually puts that vehicle and others around it in danger while it's in operation, that it doesn't need to be, that's what you need to, that's how they need to qualify a recall. Oh, so because the problem doesn't allow you to operate the vehicle. It was just an enormous inconvenience (laughs) rather than an actual danger. But here's the thing. How many times have you, I'm just speaking from personal experience, gone at lunch and filled a prescription? Mm -hmm. It's in your car during the afternoon. Oh, true. What if you went out there, you couldn't get it? Now, unfortunately, none of us have life and death type medications we need to get to. Yeah. But that could be a certain, I don't think it's too far-fetched. I can remember when I had small kids. Oh, yeah. Um, there were times oh, just out of habit when I opened the door, I would lock it mm-hmm. and then be like, oh, kids are in the back. Obviously, I need to unlock the door to get them out. Yeah. I mean, what about a situation like that? What if it bricks Yeah. in those types of situations? That seems like a definite safety concern. Then you get to do the like the fantasy where you just look for the biggest rock and you're just like, <laughs> finally, <laughs> I have to save my children. No, uh, I mean, you raise a really good point. Like, uh, so... What was it that you were thinking in terms of like where, you know, maybe Musk is on the right path in this particular case? His over-the-air software upgrades, mm-hmm. this is where that comes into play. Okay. Because that way, again, because it doesn't qualify per se, according to NHTSA, for a recall, and because it was a select number of vehicles, which you could probably very easily identify yeah. in terms of the technical stuff that I think you're going to get into in a little bit here and what's wrong, over-the-air upgrades are the perfect way to handle a situation like this. Yeah. The problem is Elon Musk is such a jerk about stuff. He doesn't want to work with anybody. Yeah. So when you alienate all these people, he's alienated the NHTSA before because he wouldn't recall his stuff because he's like, I got it. Yeah. I took care of it. What are you you messing with me for? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's obviously not a friend of the SEC. No. Or some other, um, you know, regulatory bodies. So unfortunately, I think in this case, NHTSA isn't going to Musk saying, hey, could you kind of kind of cue us in on how you do this so we can make this a best practice for the industry. It's going to make it more cost-effective for every OEM. Mm-hmm. It's going to make it less hassling for the, the user, the customer. And it's actually a great safety feature in a situation like this. Yeah. But that's not going to happen. No, no, no. That is some good wishful thinking, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. Um, Andy, well, I do... Uh, would like to see everyone play together a little bit nicer. I'm not <laughs> seeing uh, <laughs> Musk uh, picking up and calling Jeep, just saying, "Hey, you guys, I'll figure this out for you." You want a trade secret free from uh, my yeah, my right, company? Right. Um, what were your thoughts on the uh, situation at Jeep? It's just, I mean, I still have the the key, I have a key fob that basically opens my door, and I still have to turn the ignition. Um, and I remember when that was still you know groundbreaking, and it's kind of worth remembering just how much even these mundane things we kind of take for granted now. How much engineering, how much high tech uh, advancement goes into making all that stuff work, especially with uh, radio frequencies here, which is stuff above my pay grade. But I assume it's complicated. Well, and that was because I don't trust the fob, you know, like uh, the first 
this was uh, my latest vehicle was the first one that I bought that had the fob where you didn't need to turn the key in the ignition. Mm-hmm. But the failsafe, like because when I was the guy just saying like, so what if it doesn't work? They're like, oh, well, you just pop out the key of this little slot. You pop this off and you turn it. Yeah. And then this story comes up and I'm like, no, it turns out that might actually really not. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, and so, yeah, a little bit about the details. So the problem was specifically with this radio frequency hub module or the RFHM, which would result in, quote, a no start condition. And I just thought that was a great official way of saying your car's bricked. It's not bricked. It's in a no start condition. Um, the RF, the RFHM talks to the ignition, remoteless key entry and remote start and kind of lets them know that it's okay to function because it's within proximity. But when it doesn't get the correct signal, the car is locked down. And I mean, you, uh, to your point, Andy, sometimes you take this for granted. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm getting so soft with cars now that, I mean, when, uh, my gloves are on and the, uh, where it automatically unlocks the car when uh, you put your hand close to the door mm-hmm. and it doesn't read that. I'm just like, well, what do I got to take the key out now? Or my gloves hit off? hit the little button. <laughs> oh my It's too cold for that. Exactly. First world problems. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny too. And I was just kind of aside from this, I was yeah. doing a little bit of research on these vehicles, these Cherokee L models. Mm-hmm. If you had to guess, looking at the MSRP and mm-hmm. what they're actually selling for locally, how much more do you think it is? Double. So like, <laughs> holy smokes! No, like they're not eighty grand. Oh, no. I was gonna say forty and eighty. No, okay. <laughs> no, it's like forty two and like fifty six to sixty five. Depending, I mean, on, I mean that's man. Yeah, I was that gonna guess crazy. like five k. That is something. yeah. So I mean, they're SU. They're in demand. I yeah. mean, these are great vehicles, yeah. but so unless they're bricked. Or, yeah, right. I mean, that's when you got to get in and make a deal. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll give you thirty nine for that thing. I was gonna say too. The no start condition mm-hmm. reminds me. Are you guys watching this show, American Auto? Uh, no, I haven't it's yet. A show on NBC and a gas tire. Yeah, yeah, it is fantastic. It, it's actually it's really good. Even if you're not in the automotive side, just like some of the things we've talked about here in different work environments. Yeah, you can see it. Like you can just relate to some of the stuff. And I could definitely see this being part of a program where they're talking about. You know, it's not so much that it's bricked. What's <laughs> a better way of putting this out there? It's just a no start. It's a no start. It's condition. a no start. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Part of our society getting soft. All right. Our second most popular story this week, world's largest plane destroyed in Russian invasion. As part of Russia's ongoing Ukrainian invasion, Russian forces destroyed the Antonov 225 Maria. The six engine cargo plane is 225, 275 feet long and has a wingspan of nearly 290 feet. I got it. I got it. It's big this way and it's big that way, guys. It is also the world's heaviest plane and can carry a maximum payload of 250 metric tons, inside or out, which I found that particularly interesting that it could also carry it on top. The plane made its maiden flight in 1988 and was commissioned while Ukraine was still under Soviet control. It was most recent. It has most recently been used for humanitarian missions like shuttling medical supplies, and the plane was designed and built by the Antonov Design Bureau of Ukraine. Now, a state-owned defense corporation said that the plane would be rebuilt. But unfortunately, that is a tall order and would take about five years and more than $3 billion. Officials said they would see to it that Russia would cover those expenses. Now, a lot about those last three points there, Jeff, seem really up in the air. Well, trying to stay optimistic, stay positive, all that kind of stuff. And trying to... Which is difficult when because it is a very frustrating situation in total when mm-hmm. you look at what is going on in this part of the world. However, if 
it's a military operation, you do have to realize that this was a smart, strategic move by Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of hit at the heart uh, of the Ukraine a little bit in terms of their their industrial complex and their accomplishments by destroying this plane, unfortunately. It's extremely sad from an engineering perspective because mm-hmm. it was an incredible piece of machinery oh, yeah. that was developed and was still in use. Mm-hmm. Still had a lot of function, was still used for a lot of goodwill missions. They were talking about things they did around hurricane relief and being able to take just immense amounts of supplies and have it delivered. This airplane, the the am I saying it right? The Maria? Yeah, Maria. Uh, it was it was like a rock star. Wherever it went, it just it was a showcase for this country and their capabilities. So it's extremely sad to see. You, it also could end up being a huge mistake when you look at what Russia has done here, because what would have made a lot more sense instead of blowing something like this up is to capture and use it, mm-hmm. because you do have a need, especially when you're looking at one of the reasons that drove this invasion is the Ukraine is a very well industrialized country. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of technology there and a lot of know how that could serve Russia potentially well or the Russian people better if they could work together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you understand why it was hit? Just sad to see. Uh, Andy, when you, you uh, first came out with the story, I was very interested because I couldn't believe the world's largest plane was in Ukraine. Uh, we had, uh, Jeff, I think, came up with this uh, once on the podcast. We were talking about um, Airbus using their giant uh, aerospace component transporting planes for uh, contractor as a contract service, basically, and then yeah. uh, that uh, that sent Jeff, I think, down the rabbit hole of the world's <laughs> largest yeah. plane. So we, yeah. it's unfortunate that we just learned about this engineering marvel, and now it's um, evidently destroyed. Um, there's, uh, you know, it, there's a big question of what actually happened here because mm-hmm. uh, we're in a war zone for one, and there's a lot of disinformation, um, particularly uh, from the Russian side. So they uh, since. Uh, the reports of this first came out. Uh, Russian state TV on Friday released footage, they say, of the wrecked plane. Um, uh, there was a, a reporter from state TV on the ground there. There's some question about when that was recorded. There's some question about who right now controls that airfield. Mm. Um, and uh, the company that manages uh, this aircraft, which originally came out with that it was destroyed, now it's kind of saying until we get to take a look at it, we're not really sure if it can be restored or what's going on at all. So uh, kind of a wait and see, and it'll probably be that way for a while. Um, Jeff, sort of your point about how it was, uh, you know, uh, famous in the country, you know, its name translates to the dream or inspiration. And one thing that I couldn't believe, uh, oh, before this actually, is that, so, you know, it was a symbol of the capabilities of Ukrainian aviation. Uh, and in a statement, it said the occupiers destroyed the plane, but they will not be able to destroy our common dream. She will definitely be reborn. And I thought that was like a moment of, or if anything, a symbolic gesture of saying like, Hey, you can take a plane, but you know, yeah. you're not going to take the country. Um, yeah. I mean, it really demonstrates the resolve that we're hearing from the Ukrainian people throughout this in a lot of different areas. So mm-hmm. that's, it's uplifting and hopeful. Now on just a sheer size uh, part of the story. I couldn't believe this thing is still bigger than the Airbus Beluga XL. By a lot. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, also, I mean, I just, do you remember the first time they like pulled, they taxied that Airbus Beluga XL? Yeah. And it's like almost comical in how they kind of gave it that little Beluga whale bump yeah. on the top. And you're just like, what is ever going to go in there? And then you find out there's an even larger one on the other side. Yeah, of I mean, this takes up a football field. That is crazy. I mean, yeah, it's enormous. 
Uh, did you see the pictures too where, where they talked about the inside and out where they could actually put a plane on top of it? And oh, f- and they'd still fly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. No, that was another part of the story that I didn't under like, why do you design a plane to hold both a lot of cargo inside, but in the event on top as well? I guess if you're carrying a plane. Yes. <laughs> Ever works. Pretty amazing. Wow. All right. Well, here's hoping that this, you know, feat of engineering uh, gets a new life or can be restored. Yeah. All right. Our most popular story this week, Ford takes name Tesla wanted. Two siblings fighting. On Wednesday, Ford put an end to the rumor mill and announced plans to split its internal combustion and electric vehicle operations into individual businesses. Ford will name its gas division Ford Blue, and its EV business will be called Ford Model E. And it just so happens that Tesla wanted the exact same name almost 10 years ago. In 2014, Tesla CEO Elon Musk said he wanted to make a Model E. Ford threatened to sue, claiming it was too close to the Model T, and Tesla, in turn, turned around the E and made the Model 3. And Andy, here we are now. Here we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, so f- after that 2014 interview uh, with Elon Musk, where he kind of did the blow-by-blow of this situation, uh, he said in that interview that... Uh, or. I can't remember who said it, but either he or Ford said that they had reached kind of a understanding in mm-hmm. 2010 um, on the use of the name Model E. And I'm wondering now, given what's happening here, if Ford had this in mind or if they whether they had a, a vehicle in mind and then kind of changed their their strategy along the way. It's just kind of, you know, that was the dawn of the electric vehicle era. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. if they were just kind of uh, playing their cards a little close to the vest right there. Yeah, it is. I I mean, the entire shade towards Tesla side, I dig the name Model E, Jeff. Absolutely. It just makes sense. I get intellectual property and I get branding and I I can appreciate all of that. Mm -hmm. When it comes to what Ford should really be worried about, though, Mm -hmm. I don't think it should be letters. You okay? It should be numbers. See how I did that? Oh, yeah. See how I did that there? It's good. Some of the numbers I wanted to point out here, let's throw out 2021 because it was a weird year. But between 2015, 2020, Ford's U.S. sales were down by about 600,000 vehicles. If you go back to 2005, we're looking at about a million vehicles in terms of U.S. sales that they're down. Wow. Um, Maybe think about that because during that same period of time, we know what Tesla's done. Mm -hmm. They're up to about 300,000 vehicles in the U.S. They went over a million worldwide last year. Maybe look at things from a competitive perspective yeah. and beat them there. Yeah. Um, that should be maybe where Ford is, is thinking and focusing a little bit more of their energies on. If Elon Musk wants to call it an e-car, mm-hmm. quite honestly, I think it's a little cheesy, but I don't know. I'm not sure if that's the best use of your resources right now. So one of the things that I was curious about is why why a little e? You know, why go lowercase e? Just <laughs> It's, are we still still doing that, making things lowercase to look hip? Yeah, I don't yeah, know no. if we were still doing that in 2022. It's not like the Ford Model E. It's the Ford Model E. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they own that. I mean, they pioneered that naming cars that way. Why just own it? So I understand that there's copyright or trademark or whatever on the use of that as a brand name or a product name, yeah. but not the letter itself, right? No, not they don't have the letter, but like the, I think the whole lawsuit was that model e sounded so much like model t so but like so i think musk should just go like the prince route and just be like this is what we're calling it just don't say it Uh oh this is this is this is what it is call it the tesla model little e uh (laughs) he needs one more lawsuit that's what he needs (laughs) yeah well he likes to poke the bear oh he does go for it he would enjoy that um so 
one of the things I wanted to ask also is what side would you want to be on? Because, you know, Ford has been making moves and, but there has to be this clear separation in order for this to work. Like, and it reminds me a lot of when Netflix decided to spin off and rebrand its DVD business quickster. And then they like killed the business a few weeks later. So it's really interesting. And I get it. Why from a logistical and just how electric cars are made differently than internal combustion engines. But if you're working at Ford, do you want to be on team uh, blue or team little E? Yeah, I, I don't like that. Like yeah. you're Ford, right? That's yeah. the brand. I mean, that's, that is the iconic image, the blue symbol, you know, the, the mm-hmm. blue shield. So I don't, I understand from a strategic perspective, how you're going to do this. You're trying to keep those legacy customers who remember who are all about the Mustang and, and other vehicles like that, but you're also making an electric Mustang. So mm-hmm. I don't get it, I guess. I, I think you're thinking too hard when it comes yeah. to that. You're all on the same team at the end of the day, and you're putting out – you want to make the customer happy. You want to make a good vehicle. Whatever they want, that's what you want to give them. Yeah. I don't think you need two separate business units for it. It seems weird. I think it's clear which side uh, Ford's management wants to be on yeah. for sure. They want to be on the EV side because they were – this little arrangement came about after reports that they had talked about spinning off EVs entirely. And then because of um, internal company politics with the Ford family, that sort of thing, they settled on apparently this mm-hmm. sort of internal split. But they're under pressure from investors to uh, to shed the immense costs of these vehicles mm-hmm. that are going by the wayside at some point. There's some dispute about when that, yeah. that exactly is going to be. But um, investors are on the side of the EV division and their management's on the side of the EV division. So it's uh, difficult if you're working for Blue to see all that much of a future there, I'm afraid. No, I mean, it reminds me like of times when there was, you know, Blu-ray and HD DVD. And it's just like, I feel like we're going to look back and be like, remember Ford Blue? You know, and it's but, just if you're working in that division. But who's going to remember Ford Blue? The people maybe who work there. Yeah. But you're going to remember Ford. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's at the end of the day, that's yeah. what the brand is. I just think they're trying too hard to to make these delineations here between who does what, and then you end up having like the favorite child. Yeah, and and that never bodes well. That's no. never worked. Yeah, no, I think that was more the point I was trying to get at, and just like stumbling over my own words to get there, <laughs> um, was that it's got to be hard to be in Ford Blue when the company is so clearly trying to be Ford Model E. Well, and I think they have to be careful there too, mm-hmm. because those EVs, while someday the coin may flip. Right now, mm-hmm. they're betting on the F-150, and it's not the Lightning. It is the gas version, yeah. okay? So let's be careful there a little bit, too, in, in terms of where you're going to leverage yourself, mm-hmm. both not just down the road, but also right now. still need to take care of the gas side of things. Yeah, yeah. they'll just spin off another, another division like Ford Big Trucks. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, gooder ones. Yeah, the ones we all want to work on. <laughs> all right, well, before we move on to, in case you missed it, uh, stories that we talk about that were not nearly as popular this uh, this week, but still stand to make a big impact on the industry going forward. We have another word from our sponsor. Oil Eaters household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. 
VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. All right, and we're back. We're back with In Case You Missed It. Andy, what is your In Case You Missed It this week? Uh, so I wanted to tell our uh, listeners and viewers about uh, Dennis Haggerty. Um, he is an individual who was the head of a biotech company called At AT Diagnostics uh, in suburban Chicago. Uh, this company formed in March of 2020, which you'll note and not co- uncoincidentally is right at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point in time, hospitals were desperately hunting for uh, PPE to protect their staff, their personnel, their doctors, their nurses. Um, and so the University of Iowa Medical Center uh, and Northwestern Memorial Healthcare in Chicago, uh, they went to this company uh, and they paid more than $3 million for 1 million N95 masks. Uh, the trouble was, and this is uh, not unheard of uh, in recent years, is those masks were never delivered. Um, and when uh, he was confronted about it, uh, Haggerty claimed that a bank account that was purportedly used by the company never received it. Of course, the account had received the money and it was controlled by Dennis Haggerty. Um, He used that money on credit cards and at least three luxury vehicles. Uh, And now he has pleaded guilty to wire fraud and money laundering and faces three years in prison, 2.5 million in restitution. Uh, And so uh, maybe crime only pays temporarily for our friend from the suburbs here. Where? Where did he come up with the uh, I never got it excuse? If this <laughs> just like I never got the check, uh-huh. but like it shows your signature on the back. This pandemic has been bad for pretty much everything, but it's been very good for highlighting some of the laziest con artists of all time. Mm-hmm. They're just I it's it's a bank. They have records. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's I mean, uh, almost daily with the Department of Justice, you see another person that went down for COVID-19 uh, loan fraud. Yeah. And it's it's to the point where unless they get creative with how they spent it, it's just like eh, another one. <laughs> what, it, what you got? You have to be smarter if you're going to commit this kind of fraud. And he really, Jeff, he took advantage of a lot of people that I mean, I remember every that's it's it wasn't unique to hospitals. Every company, every yeah. family was looking and getting gouged for these face masks because they yeah. thought it was you know for some people it was life or death. Three years in prison seems super light. Mm-hmm, I yeah. understand where that comes into, but I wish there could be a little more context in terms of what he actually stole. What he stole wasn't just a bunch of paper masks. Mm-hmm. It was a lot more than that. It's freedom, disease prevention, uh, all that kind of personal safety, all of those things. So for him to be, that feels like a slap on the wrist. Yeah. I know the sort of public humiliation is also part of it, which he deserves in spades. But the reality is that'll be gone in a couple oh, months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, I mean, it'll just be like, hey, remember when Dennis was fun? You know, like when he had all that disposable that crazy money, guy, just yeah. like, yeah, no, he was stealing from all of us. Um, no, it's it's really frustrating. But uh, you say, so maybe it's like a year per million. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to your point, though, the fact that these have been so prevalent, that's why if we were to run this story a year ago, it would have been a big deal. Oh, yeah. It would have gotten more attention. It's easy to kind of you see the headline. You're right. It's another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's more despicable because of what he stole. It wasn't just money from the federal government, like in a lot of these cases. It was PPE that people needed desperately at that time. Yeah, and really, it's not going to turn heads until he starts like buying escorts and Lambos. <laughs> right. 
Um, two Maseratis and a Range Rover. Should note that, that for the record. It. Yeah, two Maseratis. Two he didn't be he, original. He got man. one and thought, nope, gonna get another one. My goodness. Well, uh, That's, that is lazy. Mm. Yeah, maybe. I mean, maybe he'll be able to listen to the podcast uh, while he's in jail or prison. Sure. <laughs> and if so, Dennis, thinking of you. You know no. the podcast, Dad. <laughs> <Yeah. that. laughs> you can reach me at david at in dot com. Uh, all right. My in case you missed it this week. Uh, was kind of brought on by a couple of stories. One on the Fisker Ocean, which was unveiled in Europe, which we did as part of engin- uh, one of the three stories of engineering by design this week. Um, but also the story that just came out about how Honda and Sony are going to partner on EVs. And my biggest question is, will or when will the auto industry become just like the consumer electronics industry? So on Friday, when Honda and Sony announced this new partnership, they said they're going to produce a new electric vehicle by 2025. That's incredibly fast. Now, startup or legacy, everyone is getting into this EV game. And on Monday, Fisker Automotive held this European unveiling for their Ocean All-Electric SUV at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Now, that's kind of important because it was, you know, Mobile World Congress and not like SEMA or like, you know, an auto show. Uh, the founder and CEO, Henrik Fisher, said that <clears throat> Fisker said that he wanted, quote, a sexy, cool SUV that's also super sustainable. But I don't want to talk about whether or not the car is sexy. I want to talk about his product development plan. (laughs) He wants to change the way cars are developed, comparing automotive to a fast-paced consumer electronics market like at Mobile World Congress. The founder said that cars typically take four and a half years to create, which typically means selling new cars with old technology. Now, Maybe the automotive industry could learn a little bit from the rapid product development in consumer electronics, but Jeff, I'm also worried they're going to learn about planned obsolescence. Yeah, you know when you look at Fisker has had has been on kind of a roller coaster. They mm-hmm. start out strong, hit some snags, got some money, trying to come back strong. So when you look at a lot of these new players trying to get in here, I, I don't know. I, Fisker is one that I would not be as optimistic for. Yeah. Okay. I think that. Going after an SUV is a smart choice, but also a difficult market because you've got a, so much competition out there, even though it is the vehicle sort of model of preference right now. When you look at that, what you initially mentioned, that partnership between Honda and Sony, mm-hmm. that could be ex- that seems extremely promising mm-hmm. because you've got somebody who has been making cars for quite a while, yeah. and you've got another company who seems very tied into consumer interests mm-hmm. from a technology perspective especially. So with all of these new entries coming in, you do wonder from a product development process, are they swinging too big? Are mm-hmm. they trying to go too fast? I mean, for a car company to have, bring on a partner and say, yeah, in three years, that seems really almost careful, yeah. you know, like really premeditated in terms of really having a strong plan in place mm-hmm. um, as opposed to some of these other startups. I mean, we've seen some bad things going on with some people who tried to make electric cars. Well, and it's one thing to, so Fisker's uh, entire thing is that yeah, it only took a couple of years to develop the new Ocean SUV, but all of the tech that they put into it, they put in last year to make sure they could have the newest uh, available on the market. But Andy, I don't know if you saw, like, of the new technology was like a more than 17-inch uh, infotainment screen that actually, like, can rotate like a cell phone in the dash. And I mean, granted, it doesn't do that while you're driving, but why do you need that? I... When you brought up these two stories, I thought about uh, it reminded me rather of the Apple Car project, right? Um, where they, you know, they 
rumors would come out from time to time, reports about, oh, they're going to partner with this automaker or this automaker. And it never really came to fruition because the concern was that these automakers didn't want to turn into a contract manufacturer mm-hmm. or an electronics company. Right. Um, so, but maybe with the way things are going, things are headed that way anyway. Well, and the, one of the rumors was that Apple was going to partner with Foxconn to yeah. make that Apple car. It's just, I mean, that's, uh, we have these new entries into EVs every week, multiple times, multiple new a week. Yeah. It seems like uh, new prototypes and uh, uh, consumer cars coming out. And it's just like, I don't want to get to the point where cars are almost like disposable in the way like yeah. consumer commodity. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like you buy it and you think, no, I'm only going to have it for one and a half, two and a half years. Yeah, your 36 month plan or whatever you have with your. Yeah. Uh, like. With your I'm, phone. This specifically uh, was top of mind because my phone's like warranty <laughs> was just paid or no, my phone was just paid off and the battery just tanked, just nosedive. And yeah. it's, you know, I don't want to like expect the same thing from a car. I think for some of these startups, it is going to be buyer beware <laughs> at oh, the yeah. start of it. Um, especially and some of these are really, they're high-end vehicles. The Fisker, it's oh. a high-end vehicle. Yeah. Um, who's the other lucid that's lucid, a yeah. high-end vehicle yeah the air so it, it will be a little bit of buyer beware the positive that always comes from all of these new entries into a marketplace is we always learn a lot yeah we learn what works what doesn't how we can improve the technology who's going to be the ultimate beneficiary of that from a corporate perspective kind of remains to be seen yeah. but the consumer does in the long run benefit from it well and that's one thing to fisker's uh credit um, that we could possibly learn from them is uh, talking about using sustainable materials. So, for example, like when designing the wheels, they use recycled carbon fiber. Uh, they use recycled plastic for the interior. So there are some good things that, you know, maybe other automakers could also learn from Absolutely. something like this. And uh, to make the SUV sexy, they just put a surfboard in it. That was, that was <laughs> that's all they did. Um, all right. Jeff, what is your in case you missed it this week? So I know we try to stay non-political, okay? That's, yeah. We just, we just want to talk about what's going on. But when I saw the story, I kind of had to oh, no. bring this up a little bit. So I want to talk about the story we ran about the Georgia gubernatorial, gubernatorial candidates sparring over the Rivian factory that they're looking to build outside Atlanta. Okay. All right. So first of all, we've got Brian Kemp. He is the Republican governor of Atlanta, or mm-hmm. excuse me, of Georgia. Now, if you may recall, about 18 months ago, there's a little bit of controversy going on down in Atlanta and Georgia about presidential votes and and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. If you also remember, the president at that time was not real happy about the results that came out of there. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the people that was a big supporter of Donald Trump was the then U.S. senator who was beaten shortly thereafter, David Perdue. Mm -hmm. David Perdue, also a Republican, is going to, in sort of an unprecedented move, Challenge the sitting Republican governor. Oh, okay. Because, and one of the things he's launching his re-election platform on is this Rivian factory. This $5 billion factory that's going to bring over 7,500 jobs to an area. And he's basically saying, you know what? I don't think this is a good idea because all this is going to do is it's going to line the pockets of, I believe, let me find his name here, George Soros. Soros. Oh, Soros, yeah. Because he is an investor in Rivian. George Soros is an extremely rich billionaire, financial guru, who has also been a huge Democratic Party supporter. Mm. So what this is coming down to, it feels like, is basically a crony of Donald Trump 
going to launching his election campaign over a, a fellow Republican because they didn't like how the governor didn't try to overturn the election results and potentially, not realistically probably, mm -hmm. but potentially putting a huge job creator mm -hmm. and a company like Rivian who is backed by Amazon, who is promising to bring all of this to an area of the country that already has a huge automotive infrastructure in the Southeast to an area that could really use the jobs. Yeah. He's fighting his own party. Mm -hmm. He's fighting a number of his own constituents. And what he drew on for his support is they showed a picture at his rally, which was less than 200 people in lawn chairs. Oh, well, at least they're comfortable. So it's just, it's so frustrating because this is a no brainer. Mm -hmm. This isn't, this isn't like the Foxconn situation here in Wisconsin where they're over promising. They've got a physical product. They've got support. There's an infrastructure. It makes all the sense in the world for all of this to take place. But yet, because there's political infighting, mm -hmm. it becomes an issue when it should not be one to begin with. It's ridiculous. Uh, political infighting has been ridiculous. Oh, for the, I don't know, how long now? So, forever. No. 200 years? Yeah. yeah. Um, what were your thoughts on the, uh, the story in Georgia? I mean, we could, you could go on and on and weigh the pros and cons of state incentives for manufacturing projects or any economic development project, whether they work, whether they don't. Um, we're kind of all looped into that game at this point, trying to lure jobs to to states and communities. Um, what this reminded me of was, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but Karl Rove said, you take your opponent's strength and turn it into a weakness. So that's mm -hmm. clearly, it seems, the playbook he's trying to go for here. It doesn't sound from the attendance numbers that that's going particularly well, but mm -hmm. uh, but we'll see. Yeah, it's uh, so is he just going for trying to be the loudest in the room then? He's just trying to stir something up because, again, it goes from Donald Trump being pissed off that yeah. this guy wasn't more supportive of trying to overturn the election results yeah. to digging up a guy who already lost in the state to yeah. run against him and then bring something like this that should be a no-brainer. Yeah. Now, there is stuff to talk about here. Okay, mm -hmm. They're developing 2,000 acres of farmland. Okay, So yeah. there's, there is some development here. There is concern from local citizens, things that need to be addressed. But you're also talking about electric vehicles, mm -hmm. okay? A much more sustainable product offering potentially. Right now, the manufacturing process deserves some of the scrutiny that it's that it's getting. Mm -hmm. So there are things to work through. Yeah. But again, when we look at all of these companies that are, we're just talking about more EV startups, mm -hmm. we have sort of universally said Rivian has got a lot of positive stuff going for it. Yeah. They want to generate over 400,000 vehicles out of this plant every year. Mm -hmm. These these aren't, this is, this is what you shoot for. Yeah. And again, if there were more, um, I guess, solid concerns over this, other than just some of the state incentives, but when the guy comes out and says, when David Perdue comes out and says one of his main issues is that it's lining the pocket of a donor of Democratic candidates, yeah, that's a problem. It's just really mm -hmm. clear, yeah. That's, that's, that's misprioritizing -prior things. No, that's, uh, that's very frustrating. And unfortunately, uh, anything with a political angle is going to be frustrating until, well, at least the end of our yeah, lifetime. forever. All right. <clears throat> Well, let's move on to <laughs> our final thoughts. I mean, I thought that was pretty good with all the uh, political uh, discourse involved with that story. <laughs> like uh, the kid comes around. No, um, we're very nuanced around here. Yeah, so that's good. Um, right. There should have been more shouting. Uh, let's move on to our final thoughts. And actually, for final thoughts, I wanted to have one that was uh, posted by a listener of the podcast who actually responded to that Hershey story that we did last week. And uh, Andy, I'm sure you remember it. And uh, Jeff, the story was the, the Hershey prison-like yeah. environment. Yeah. Now, our reader Jonathan Williams says, 
Just an FYI, I own a house in Stewart's Draft, and that's where the plant was uh, in Virginia. And my friend there has a daughter who started working at the Hershey plant last year. She loves the job. They started her at over $20 per hour with good benefits, and she had no experience. Her brother-in-law, who was a tool and dye maker at the Nibco plant, went to work at Hershey in maintenance, and he is happy with it. When you get all your information from a source that is decidedly pro-union, you have to expect a slant. As with everything, there are always two sides to every story. Hershey is certainly not the only game in town with the Nibco and Hollister in the same neighborhood and other jobs with distribution centers less than 20 minutes away, and lots of other employees in the nearby towns of Staunton and Waynesboro. Charlottesville is over the mountain about, 30, about a 30-minute drive. They have to compete with other employers and they pay well because, let's face it, manufacturing is a hard job with the monotony and repetition. The labor union's major motivation is self-preservation first, worker second, so in a case of organized plants or die, the union is spinning is spinning it for everything they can. Just my two cents. And I just thought it was cool to get a perspective of not someone directly working at the plant, but that new employees and they were not experiencing the same prison-like uh, environment. Yeah. I mean, certainly that, that video that was produced was from a, a union supporting uh, publication or, or outlet. So, and you know, you disclose that and you try to do the best with the information. You get. We're not in Stuart's draft. So it's, True. you know, you just kind of have to, to go with what you can get. Um, but I mean, good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it's, it's good to hear that, you know, there are people that are happy with their jobs and it seems like they're paying a competitive rate. Certainly. And as far as self-preservation with the union, I mean, this is a union drive at this plant. They're not there trying to preserve themselves. Yes. Uh, I believe so. Yeah. So. Yeah. I yeah mean, they're trying to, to form a yeah. union. Yeah. I think it, it is always good to get both sides. Mm-hmm. I think from what I remember of the story and reading and doing a little bit of our own research, there were valid concerns there as well. Oh, yeah. It is yeah. great to hear that there's a lot of good stuff going on there, too. Yeah. I think you could find that in almost every situation. But just because there are some positive mm-hmm. experiences doesn't mean you just need to look past the night. Oh, no. Yeah, like uh, some of the things that we talked about, like the <clears throat> the uh, point system and the you know needing counseling after uh, three and a half points. Three and a half missed days three, of work. Three and a half missed days of work. counseling. And I kept saying consulting instead of counseling. That's going to drive <laughs> me crazy for the rest of the time. Um, no, yeah, there's still, uh, plenty of things that could be made better. Um, but you know, I just wanted to share another. Perspective. No, definitely appreciate all the feedback and it was a well, well worded response and definitely appreciate him bringing up those points cause they're extremely valid. Um, all right. My, in case you missed it this week is, uh, well, it was first, it was going to apologize for the curmudgeon thing, but we got that out real early. Appreciate uh, that. Yeah. I'm over it. Yeah. Um, Maybe. The, <laughs> the other thing was that, so I had, uh, this week I had to in try attempt to enroll my son in 4K, <laughs> a 4K that he's not even four yet, but it's enrolling for September, and it's so competitive that I have to enroll like the first day it opens yeah. in order to try and get a spot. And let me just say, after getting a real glimpse of the uh, talking about bureaucracy again, I'm not I'm not feeling good about like 18 more years of this, like. Uh, <laughs> You know, just all the boxes you got to check, all the forms you got to submit. I just, I didn't understand why my kid going into 4K, I had to say yes or no as to whether or not he can receive counseling for his ACT exams. 
And it's just like, whoa, I feel like that's a little forward thinking. <laughs> that's a bit soon. And it was, uh, it went from something where I thought, I mean, ignorantly, that I was just going to put down like name, email, yeah. save me a spot, to taking more than an hour and a half. And then as the rickety, you know, uh, website it's on keeps crashing. You know, yeah. the only positive thing I could say is that when it crashed, at least it saved most of the stuff I had already put in there. But uh, I got a glimpse into a future of having a child in public schools, and I didn't like it. <laughs> Did not care for it. Well, hopefully they do get better. I do remember going through those sites. We talked about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is definitely not where, where school um, district resources are being allocated is in yeah. the IT spot. It's just like, can we use video or photos uh, that your son is in in order for training purposes about social media? And you're like, what? Sure. Like, uh, or as, <laughs> was that uh, an option? Sure. Question mark. Yeah. Just like, I mean, I wish that was a checkbox. Just like, yes, maybe to everything. Like, uh, and the, the other one was, um, could you, would you allow your son not to use social media at school, but with a teacher be trained on social, like learn about social media. I'm just like, he's going to be four. Like, what is, I mean, yeah. okay. Still no, but yeah. Uh, so I just, I'm still fired up about that. That was like, that was my Monday just plummeting <laughs> into like coming out of the weekend. Like it is going to be a great week. Let's get started with this 4k thing. Oh my God. I'm picturing a charming kindergarten room with some four-year-olds sitting cross-legged on the floor and a very nice teacher going through ACT prep with them. Oh, I, right? <laughs> just like, uh, here are your graham crackers and your milk. If you don't get this right, if you don't get at least a 30. Let's talk trigonometry, kids. Future's oh, over. Yeah. Yeah. Do some advanced vocab work. Uh, all right, Andy, what is your uh, final thought this week? Uh, we were going through uh, these stories, and of course we went through the the Model E controversy, um, and that got me thinking about um, uh, other models from Ford, including the Model A. Hmm. Um, and I was recalling my, my friend has a, a cabin up north, and his dad had a 20s or 30s something Model A. So I got to drive that up the gravel road until we got to a real highway once, and then the guy who actually knew how to drive it took over. Mm. Um, so I was curious, that's the oldest car I've driven by a matter of probably 60 years, maybe mm-hmm. more. Um, but I was wondering, uh, what's, uh, what's the oldest model vehicle you guys have driven? Oh man, I've driven in a lot of old, actually, boy, before I answer that, what was it like? Like, did you feel Hard. safe? No, <laughs> just cause I was driving though. If I, I've yeah. been in the passenger seat before and I was fine. Yeah. Um, no, it's shifting was a bear. Yeah. Like it had what two or three gears and reverse and you had to really punch it yeah (laughs) it was hard no that's so i guess the oldest mode of transportation i've ever ridden was a horse okay (laughs) but uh no uh a horse and then uh old i've uh, driven a lot of old tractors and it's like i get what you're talking about in terms of like when you're shifting it's not leisurely no it's like like, you're jamming it in here we go yeah but uh no in terms of like old cars trucks like the oldest is probably like my 88 Delta or the 88 old. How about yours? So <clears throat> I wasn't supposed to drive it, but my dad had <laughs> a, um, a 75 Malibu, Chevy Malibu. Nice. And this was a big engine. And Eric can probably appreciate this. The front hood. This is when the hoods just went on forever. Mm-hmm. Like huge. So just getting behind, number one, a car with that much power. And also not like not being used to seeing that much real estate out in front of me was extremely intimidating. Yeah. Um, but that was like, yeah, it's 75, same year I was born. So nothing too, uh, well, depending on whose perspective, not too old, I guess. But. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, no, I had uh, an experience in a, we had an old black van. And when I was four, I put it into gear and backed it into a tree. Nice. Just like playing around. <laughs> that counts. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. driving. I mean, the officer, he said I drove it. Yeah. No. <laughs> State of Wisconsin said you drove it. Very good. Um, Jeff, what's your final thought this week? So I will get to the trivia stuff in mm-hmm. just a minute, but we cover so much safety stuff. Mm-hmm. Usually the stuff that gets a lot of attention is negative. So I just wanted to also offer this part of the podcast to give a shout out to people. If you've got some positive safety stuff to announce, mm-hmm. let us know about it. So for example, we've got Manhattan manacle. Man, just pulled a manty. Mm-hmm. Those manacle surfaces. <laughs> Manhattan Mechanical Services, which is in Manhattan, Illinois, announced a third consecutive year with zero OSHA recordable incidents. They describe themselves as Chicago's premier merit shop mechanical contractor, and they credit a proactive approach to safety has created a deeply ingrained safety culture that drives their safety record. Mm-hmm. So good job, guys. If there's anybody else out there who wants to kind of give their place a shout out for some good safety records, we'd yeah. love to hear about it. This is like the last time I actually, you know, re- it was last St. Patty's Day because the company and the CEO was making Rubens yeah. for everybody yeah. in the office. And I was like, if you got good news or great stories, send it over. Crickets. <laughs> They're just like, we don't want to hear you guys be happy. Look at this monster of a story. And uh, yeah, I would, uh, you know, I'd come back at you over the manti comment, but I was just going to lean into it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I can be a curmudgeon. I'll admit it. Oh, boy. It just, happens. See, I should have said it in final thought. Again. <laughs> see, perspective gives us balance. It's in my notes. Well done. There you go. So, circling back to two weeks ago, and again, my apologies for the delay here. Our question was, which mineral prevents or helps prevent muscle cramps? Calcium, iron, or copper? What was your guys' guess? Wait, what? What was the question again? Sorry. Prevents cramps? Calcium, oh. iron, or copper? My, yeah, my Not answer, cranberry juice? My answer was cranberry juice. Uh, uh, yeah, calcium? Um, it's pickle juice, but yes, calcium was my guess Calcium well. is the correct answer. Yeah. We did have a bunch of people. We got some more t-shirts going out. I'm working on the hats. Mm-hmm. We need to have a little team meeting to go over hat design. Ugh, hats or mugs? No, uh, mugs instead. I'm fine either way. I mean, I guess hats, uh, just because of you know the situation on top of my head. Like yeah. I could go hats. I'm very pro hat for that reason. <laughs> All right. All right. I think that's kind of. The I way do we're need leaning. mugs too, though. So you know. Whatever. Yeah, they're both. Um, yeah, no, we could. Uh, I mean, because then we could be like, guess what's in the mug while we're doing the oh, podcast. Hmm. Um, no, also. Slippery slope. I can't remember who it was that emailed us, so I apologize. I should have headed up. But I was taking so much heat about what minerals are in cranberry juice. Oh, he bailed you out. And he bailed me out. He He sent a list of minerals found and other nutrients found in cranberry juice because it is so good for you. Apparently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No arguments. Man, thank you, sir. I apologize. I should have had that up. Anna would have, you know. No. (laughs) (laughs) All Uh, right. New trivia question. Now, we are off the, the Wagner safety cards, unfortunately. We, they kind of ran their, uh, their course. So I did some digging, and here's our question for this week. Which of the following is not included as a measure of manufacturing or, product, or production efficiency? So in other words, when you're calculating your output efficiency, which of these would you not look at? Productivity, unit costs, total costs, or inventory levels? So again, which of the Mm. following is not included as a measure of manufacturing or production efficiency, productivity, unit costs, total costs, or inventory levels? 
not as much fun as the safety questions. No, I'm going to no. have to do a little work there now that I hear it out loud. Yeah. But, yeah. Just, <laughs> um, but we'll go with this one for this week and I will be better. That's yeah. all you, that's all I, I just want to be better. I will be better yeah. next Perspective week. gives us balance. I'm told. Yeah. Andy, that is extremely wise. Where did you hear that? Is that <laughs> did you come up with that yourself? That's fantastic. Uh, and the secondary part of this question, what's the most dangerous part of... No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's a good question. I don't know the answer, but I haven't known the answer to pretty much. Um, all right. Well, can you repeat that one more time just so you know what it is? Which of the following is not included as a measure of manufacturing or production efficiency? So which of these would you not include? Productivity, unit costs total costs, or inventory levels. All right. All right. We'll get after it. And then we'll get after that hat design, too. Exactly. All right. Before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by giving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to reach the podcast, you can reach any of us at Andy, Jeff, or David at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. Finally, you can also subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters and make sure that you get the podcast in your inbox first. All right, for Jeff and Andy, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.